Hello and welcome to Shattered Lives. I'm Kieran Bradley. This is where we would normally tell you that we're going to bring you the latest from Dublin's Special Criminal Court, but we'll get to that shortly. Today's episode will be slightly different, as you'll be hearing part one of our backgrounder on the Hutch Kinnahan feud. We delve into where it started, who it affected, and what it has been like to cover as a news story for over 15 years. And there's no better man to take us through proceedings as the Irish Daily Star's crime correspondent, Mick O'Toole. Mick, how are you going? Hi, Kieran. So we're in a slightly unusual position, I suppose, uh, in that the case at the Special Criminal Court is in recess until Friday. So the logic here really is to give a little bit of background, obviously, to the feud between the, the two families, I suppose you want to put it that way. Um, but in the meantime, you might just give us an update on what's actually happened over the last few days in, in court. When last we left, there were there was a few legal wranglings afoot. Okay, so as you say, it is adjourned until Friday. So we know that it's the non-jury special criminal court and they're currently considering an application by Brendan Grant, senior counsel, who is the, the counsellor for Gerard Hutch. He wants, in essence, he wants... The, the tapes that we have listened to, he wants them ruled inadmissible. Now, there were a raft of reasons that he put for them and he spent, uh, there, were, there were maybe two and a half, three days of legal argument about that. So he made his submissions. Then Sean Gallant, Senior Counsel for the State, who is the prosecutor, spent a, a, probably a day trying to rebut those or given his, you know, fighting back, effectively trying to persuade the judges not to exclude the taped uh, evidence of the conversation between Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdell on the seventh of March, twenty sixteen, that started in Belfast, went du- or started in Dublin, went up to uh, the north and came back down again, and it was about ten hours. And it, you know, obviously, it's a very strong plank of the state case. So then, uh, on t- t- Tuesday, there was another bit of legal argument in that uh, uh, Brendan Graham made a final submission in response to Sean Galan's answer to his submission. So it, it's like tennis, I suppose, but that's the way it works. He gets, he's the defence, so he gets the, the really the final say. So Miss Justice Tara Burns, who's the presiding judge of the three judges, rose for a wee while after Brendan Graham finished. And he essentially, she came back after a while and essentially said, look, uh, we're going to consider this and we will have our ruling on Friday at 11 o'clock. So that's when Jared Hodge will know and we'll all know if his defence team has been successful in having the, the taped conversations uh, excluded in the in the court case. Very good. Well, we await that with basic breath. Just on a, on a slight side point here, um, I did jury duty about 15 or so years ago, uh, and it was my first real courtroom experience kind of as a civilian. Um, I found the 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 legal argument the the sort of nitpicking if you like without wanting to use that as a negative phrase absolutely fascinating but what is it like to report on I mean obviously this you you you're you're an old hack with uh with no offence yeah thanks <laughs> emphasis more on the hack than the old oh I am old I am no no I am old I am old I am old there's no problem it's fascinating I I personally I I I love legal argument even you because just to get to see look, Brendan Grand and Sean Galan they're two of the top countries, two top legal minds. And it's just, you know, you sit there and you can, you know, can you always hear their brains working about how quickly they're at each other? I, I give you an example. Uh, Mr. Graham was talking about, you know, that there, there is a provision for you to be convicted in Ireland for an offence committed abroad. Say, for example, if you sexually exploit a child or if you rape a child in 
Thailand or, or abroad, you can be done for that in Ireland. So Mr. Grant was talking about, you know, the offence, offences abroad. And he was saying, look, you know, but they have to be mentioned specifically in law. It has to be said specifically in the act. And Miss Justice Tara Burns interrupted. And I thought it was a fantastic question. I actually turned around to the, 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 the journalist who said, that was a great question because Miss Justice Burns said, yes, you're talking about the offence. This in this case, it's not the offence that Mr. Grant has given out about. It's the evidence, right? And I thought, oh, what a great question! What a great question! But then Brendan Grant came back and said, well, it's more than evidence because it's the actual bug took happened in the north. So he says, rather than it being evidence, it's actually a thing. He used the word thing, so it's an an act. It's the act of surveillance in the north. So now the the, the prosecution says, look, really, in essence, the the bug was fitted here. It was. It started working here. It was authorized here. It was reviewed here. Everything was downloaded here. So they're going for the everything happened in here, and you know, obviously it went up north. So they're, you know, it's just really interesting to watch two great legal minds going at each other. And I, I personally, I could sit there all day. I know some hacks think legal argument is really boring, but I, I just find it fascinating. I have to say, yeah, it really is the uh, Feder and Nadal of uh, courtroom back and forth. But well, I mean, obviously uh, on that point, then we're in a position of, of somewhat stasis. So what we wanted to do when you and I were chatting off air was just to give a sense of bit of background really to, to how we got to this point. And obviously the Gerald Hutch murder trial is one of the culminations, I suppose, of, of what's happened over the last however many years. And, and this is something we'll go into. But I mean, you might just sort of start at the very beginning as, as is traditional and, and tell us sort of how this came to pass. Because as we talked about before, this is not two gangs that were going at it from the get-go. It, these, this was one that had that kind of classic split that, that we've seen in the movies and the like before. So you might just start with uh, with that side of things. Yeah, that, that's exactly it, Kieran. And I suppose that, you know, I, and, and I think this is useful because it gives us, a, a, we can contextualise things because when you're doing a court report, it's contemporaneous and you're firing stuff in and people are listening to us and we're doing that day's evidence or maybe the previous two days' evidence. And sometimes it's hard to, you know, just give context. And I hope in this podcast we can just explain sort of everything you wanted to know about the, the feud, but we're afraid to ask. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. It's really, we'll, we'll talk about how it started what happened, what the future is. So essentially we know, I, I've, I've been covering the Kinahan cartel since the mid-noughties. My first interaction with the Kinahans themselves was in 2001 when Daniel Kinahan was charged with assaulting a guard, a couple of off-duty guard at Shelburne Park, Greyhound track. I think it was either 2000, 2001. And he was arrested and he was put in custody. I think it's, I think it's the only night He's ever, sorry, apart from a few times after Operation Shovel, which we'll talk about later on. But that's the, I think that's the only time he's ever been in custody in Ireland. He was held in the cells and brought to uh, district court 2000, 2001. So, but really, it came across my consciousness and I suppose most journalists' consciousness around 2003, 2004, 2005. And that's when they really decamped Christopher Kennan Sr., the man we call the Dapper Don, decamped mm. to Spain and really started building up his drugs empire then. So for, in the mid-noughties, they were coming increasingly important and we were taking an increased interest. And I remember around 2007, 2008, trying to get, we knew they were in, in, in Estepona and I remember trying to get their address and I, I failed miserably. I eventually got it, but by that stage, other things had happened to it. Uh, so that came in the way. But around 2007, 2008, we really realised they were very big. And I remember there was one case I was working on one piece of intelligence I was working on, and I'd never heard this before in Ireland, that the Kenyans were using 
light planes to drop packages of drugs in the, on the golf courses. I thought, wow, that's really interesting. It just showed a certain level of intelligence because <clears throat> most of the drugs that come in the island, they come in by boat or by plane, you know, so people carry them in their luggage, <coughs> excuse me, or they bring them in on large containers, the, the really, really large ones. So around 2009, 2008, 2009, there was a major seizure of cannabis resin in County Kildare by the then Garda National Drugs Unit. And what we understand then, it was huge. It was like, you know, I think it was 20 odd million, really, really large amount. It was in a rural part of, of County Kildare. And we know that from that, it was sort of, the guards went to Europol, which is the European police agency of the European Union. And they essentially decided, look, this Kennehan gang, they're really, really big. We need to have a pan-European response to them. And that's what uh, we now call Operation Shovel. And that was in 2010, May 2010, when it was a large crackdown, coordinated crackdown of operations in Ireland, England, Spain, France, all over the place. And it was really that their their massive operation was laid bare. And I always remember back at the time, mm. it was established that their operation was worth about one billion euro. We know, for example, that they had properties all over the place. They're involved in everything. They had two resorts in Brazil. They had properties in Dubai and everything. So they're really, mm. really big. And, you know, I'll be honest, I remember at the time, the briefings we were given is, this is the end of the Kinnan gang. Yeah, really, it was only the start of it. So, you know, D- Daniel, Christopher Daniel and Chris, uh, Christopher Daniel and Christy Jr., the, the son, were all arrested. And a c- c- couple of others, like John Cunningham, to be a notorious criminal who would be connected with them. Uh, they were all arrested and we thought that was it. But one by one, they were released. And slowly... And gradually they got back in. Christopher Christie Kennan Jr. was was or senior was sent to Belgium and he was convicted there of other related offences and he did a few months in prison. But they got out. So by 2011, 2012, they really were back doing what they were doing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we honestly thought that that was the end of the Kennans, but as I said, it was it was only the start. So essentially, uh, the feud really. It, it is, it's a hive and off. There was one gang, Gary Hutch, who'd be a, a very well-known member of the, the Hutch family, was heavily involved with Daniel Kinnan and the, the Kinnan cartel. He was one of his, his closest friends. There's plenty, of, they're all online, there's plenty of pictures of them socialising and everything. But around 2008, Gary's gang was involved in a robbery of a bank in central Dublin. They got about 8 million quid. Now the story is, and this is where it gets... So journalists are often at a at a, a disadvantage because we have to try and say what's happening when oftentimes nobody really knows. So we do know that there was a fallen out, and in 2013, uh, someone connected to Gary Hutch tried to murder Daniel Kinnan. Now I can I can give you my analysis and what I've been told it's about. There are two main schools of thought. The first one was that Gary gave Daniel Kinnan some of the money from the robbery because the Kennans aren't only involved in drugs they're involved in money laundering Daniel Kennan is alleged to have said listen you give me your money mm. I'll sort it for you get you a big return something happened there the other uh, story I've been given in relation to the, the fallout is that the Kennan essentially believed that Gary Hutch had become an informant and was also trying to undermine Daniel Kennan and wanted to take over the operation for himself so in other words he thought he could he could really become the main man. So whatever happened, there was a fallen out and it was called to mind something in, in August 2013, there was an attempt on Daniel Kennan's life in Estepona in southern Spain, which would have been the power base of the Kennans. And 
uh, an innocent boxer, an innocent English boxer called Jamie Moore was shot in the leg. It was at a house controlled by Daniel Kennan. They tried to kill Kennan. They thought saw a man, the gunman saw a man coming out. Thought it was Kennan, but it wasn't. It was this poor boxer, Daniel uh, Jamie Moore. He had no, he has no involvement in, in organised crime whatsoever. He was literally in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was shot in the leg. And it, you know, it was very damaging to his career. But that was really the start of it. So that was that was twenty thirteen. Uh, now then, in twenty fourteen, and again, you're sort of we were relying on. You're looking back and go, that makes really sense now. In 2014, Daniel Kennan's mother, a lady called Jean Boylan, died. And there was a big funeral for her back in Dublin. And lots of people came. Obviously, a lot of the Kennans came back. But at the church, it was a Russian Orthodox church. The funeral was, and there was a, a bit of graffito on the wall nearby. And it said, Gary Hutch, you rat. Right. Now, we didn't, we, we got the photographs. We didn't really realise the significance of it. But that was obviously the simmering tensions that we were unaware of under, you know, uh, within the Kennans and the and the associates of Gary Hutch and all that sort of thing. So, you know, looking back, it was clear, but at the time we didn't really see the, the, the significance of it. So there there were these tensions. Gary Hutch essentially tried, tried to murder Kennan and all these tensions were under the surface. We know that uh, after that, the Kennans mounted an investigation. They, they quickly identified someone that they said was very closely connected to Gary Hutch and they blamed Gary Hutch. Gary Hutch had to get, to get out of Spain. Uh, and essentially... We found out later that uh, members of the Hutch family agreed to pay €200,000 in compensation to the Kennans for this murder attempt on Daniel Kennan. And the Kennan and the, the, the Hutch associates thought well, that was the end of it. So Gary Hutch fled Spain after the shooting. He was living in England for a while and then we, we, we saw him in Ireland late 2014 uh, and we thought everything was grand. And he went back to uh, Spain in 2015 under a promise of protection from the Kenan cartel he'd been told that he was safe everything had been sorted out the, the two sides had shaken hands and everything was cool and then on the 25th of September 2015 he was in his, in his apartment complex in Estepona again and he saw a gunman coming for him and he was in it was in a gated complex and the gunman chased him around the pool and shot him and he kept running and he cornered him and then he shot him dead and that was the start of the feud and that was Seven years ago, more than just over seven years ago, and we had no idea it would, it would be this big or it would be this long last. And we just, I was in the office when it happened, and the first reports were that an Irish man had been shot dead in Spain, which is by, by its own right, which is a big enough story. But then suddenly somebody said, We think it's Gary Hutch. So we had to get confirmation, and it took us about five hours because. Spanish police don't talk. They're really, really bad at, at talking to journalists. So it was about trying to get information back here. And uh, I had to try and get the, the confirmation because we, can't, we couldn't say it was him without getting the confirmation. And it was very late in the day. But eventually on that night, we got it confirmed and we put it in the front page the next day. But it was really seismic when we heard it was Gary Hutch because you knew that there would be you know, serious ramifications as a result of this. It's Yeah, I, I do remember that being an, an enormous story at the time. Now, just from a, I'm, I'm going to play the the ignorant man here, um, a, a, a role for which I might become typecast. But um, in terms of Gerard Hutch's alleged role in this, was it then that he kind of comes gets drawn into the the situation as a result? Is this when we start seeing the monk as a as a kind of character, if you like, coming through? It's fair to we can definitely say that for whatever reason. And look, you know, Karen. There's things we don't know, but whatever for whatever reason happened, Jerry Hutch would Jerry Hutch would be regarded as the, the leader of the, the the family. I'm talking about the Hutch family, not not any crime group, because there are criminals, but an awful lot of the Hutches aren't. So I'm talking about the Hutch family. He would be the 
the, the great figure within the Hutch family and regarded as as the main player. There he had he had brothers older than him. His his brother Edward Nettie, who was we know was murdered. He would have been no, he was fifty eight. Uh, Jerry Hutch is only fifty nine now, and that was in two thousand and sixteen. So obviously he had older brothers, but Jerry would be you know in some families there's a you know a dynamic, and he would be the main man for whatever reason. It is fair to say that the Kenahan gang started targeting Jerry Hutch. Now we know this because we broke a story in so in in so September twenty fifteen. Gary Hutch is killed. We were writing stories. And we were told, listen, there's going to be hell to pay on this. Hutch people are very, very popular in South, in North Inner City, Dublin. They've got an awful lot of supporters and there's going to be hell to pay. So in uh, November 2015, there was an attempt on Daniel Kinahan's life at the Red Cow Inn. There was a, another boxing bout there. Uh, and the, the belief is that members of the Hutch crime gang, not the Hutch family, but members of the Hutch crime gang, tried to murder him. His bodyguards saw what was happening, through, saw the car, Got Kenan out of the way, and you know, got out of do- got him out of dodge. But there, the fallout from that was New Year's Eve, twenty fifteen. So a few months later, for whatever reason, the 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 Kenans decided to try and kill Jared Hutch, and the Hutch family did speak about this publicly, saying that they have made several attempts on Jared Hutch's life. One we got to hear of was New Year's Eve, twenty fifteen, going into New Year's Day, twenty sixteen. He was in Lanzarote. Uh, he was in a pub that he frequents. He saw two men coming in. He recognised them. And he ran and hid in the toilets. Now we got to hear about that. I think it was around the fourth or fifth of January. We get to hear things sometimes quite slowly, and we, you know, so we heard that there'd been an attempt on the monk's life, and we spliced it the next day. But then a couple of days later, I was talking to let's say an investigator in, in central Dublin. He said, "Let's this Kenny and Hutch thing. It's going to really explode. There are plenty of people who support." The Hutch crime gang, not the Hutch family. I want yeah, to stress course, that yeah. there is a difference yeah. there, right? Uh, but there are plenty of people who support the Hutches. And it's not just, you know, the Kenyans going after the Hutches. The Hutches are there and they can fight back and they've got a lot of danger. So that was, uh, we did that story. I think we did it around uh, maybe the 20th of January. And then two weeks later, the Regency happened. So, but whatever reason, they wanted Jerry Hutch dead. We know that there was a bounty on his head. In the tapes that we listened to, Jerry Hutch said it was a million quid. Our information and our stories at the time was that, that it was half a million. But even in gangland, 500,000 euro is an awful lot of money. So effectively, and I think this is accurate, Jerry Hutch was and is the Kinnahan's main target. Very interesting. And so we, we've spoken on this before about how the guards at least seem to have what we might term a grudging respect for Christy Kinnahan Sr., uh, in terms of his, you know, intelligence, frankly, and his ability to operate what was, uh, you know, mm. a multinational um, drug syndicate. In, in in this, like, I think what fascinates me and probably what even from a media perspective um, can motivate us at times is, is really the personalities that are involved here. Uh, obviously with Christy Senior, with Christy Junior, who in fairness we seem to hear less about, and obviously Daniel Kin and, and the monk and, and other members of the, the Hutch uh, talking specifically about the crime family now. It seems to me, and it seems from one remove, that when Daniel was kind of given operational duties, operational responsibility for the Kinnans, this is when it began to become extremely violent. But I mean, is that the case? Am, am I barking up the wrong tree there? No, I, I think you're, you're quite right. But there, it's slightly more complicated than that, I think. There were, so the victim in the Regency was a man called David Byrne who would have been very, very close 
to Daniel Kennan. Now, David Byrne has, mm-hmm. he's from Crumlin, he was from Crumlin in south central Dublin. He had an awful lot of associates and enough, some of those associates were, you know, understandably infuriated by the murder and they wanted swift action by the Kennan cartel to take on the gang that they blamed for the murder, which is the Hutch crime gang, right? So, I think it's a mixture of two things. I think it's, Gardy would say that Daniel Kennan is extremely volatile and extremely hot-headed. They even say paranoid or, you know, all those words that you want to throw in to somebody. So that volatility on his part, plus the pressure he was under by supporters and allies of David Byrne for revenge, I think that coalesced and came together to form a, a perfect storm of viciousness. And I think, you know, the Kenhins wanted to show people that they weren't to be messed with. That you could nobody could come in and try to remember because remember the regency, David David Byrne was murdered, but it was there's absolutely no doubt about this. This was an attempt to murder Daniel Kennan, and I think the thinking by the Hutch crime gang was, we cut the head off the Kennan crime group and they leave us alone. So it was really, it was a very uh, you know a very deliberate act, a very well planned act, and a very daring act to try and you know attack uh, being the best form of defence. So it was that. We have to show people that we're the Kennans that we can't be messed with. And also we have to go and get revenge for David Byrne. So those two things came together for this absolutely vicious onslaught by the, the Kennan gang after the Regency. And, and I mean, I, I, I have to say, Karen, I mean, it was an onslaught. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it there. I think there, there were up to 18 people murdered in the feud. I think, just look at my notes, I think about 10 of them were killed after the Regency. So it was, you know, in a year after the Regency, up to the... You know, twenty early twenty seventeen. Basically, there were more after it, but it was just there. Just seemed to be one after the other after the other, and it was. I think you know the best word to describe it is a rampage. I give an example that one that really I I, I so the the regency happened on the Friday on the Monday. I was on uh, RTE Sean O'Rourke show on RTE one, and I said, "Listen, this thing is going to explode because we were told that it was already a really huge story because of the whole political aspect and the whole drama of people you know photographers getting the regency gunmen going in and it was it was you know it was front page news in Ireland and around the place and I said listen this feud is going to because I was given guidance this feud is going to be horrible it's going to be absolutely bloodthirsty and we ain't seen nothing yet it's going to be shocking about 10 hours after later after I did that interview Eddie Hutch Jared Hutch's brother was shot dead on Poplar Row in central Dublin and even I was shocked by how and that was the first sort of revenge murder and I was shocked even then by how quickly that happened and then it was just you know every day covering it it was just one thing after the other after the other for about a year but see those you know up to maybe uh, I'd say August of 2016 when Trevor O'Neill was killed, an innocent man, they're all innocent, I don't like that word innocent, every victim in this feud, none of them deserved to die, nobody had any right to kill anything, but that man, who had no connection with anything, and was just completely in the wrong place at the wrong time, was misidentified as one of the Hutches. Then, you know, from from the the, the, the Regency up to then, it was really full on, and I, I do consider this, I think the government got really nervous because I think the Kenyans were a threat to the authority of this state. And it's something we can't understress there, how saving they were. That, it was funny, actually, because basically this uh, overlapped almost perfectly with when I moved to Ireland in January 2016. And, and I was working in the Dáil at the time um, until uh, and then. So when this was all kicking off in February, um, the the impact that it was having on, you know, I'll say high level politicians. I mean, you could see it. There was there was a, a real recognition that this was a, a major, major 
uh, political event as much as uh, obviously a criminal one and, and all those coalescences that happen there. Um, and funnily enough, actually, I was, well, I say funnily enough, uh, I, I was living in Ratoth uh, at the time and was, was coming back from work. And this was the, the site of, um, of one of the murders related to the Hutch family. You might uh, elaborate a little bit more on, on Mr. Mr. Duggan. Yeah, that was Noel Duggan. He was known as King Size. He would have been, look, he was, he was a, he was called King Size because he was a cigarette smuggler. Now, it's all a blur for me, but I think that was in April, twenty sixteen. Yeah, I think it was April. So the, I think he was the uh, Eddie Nettie Hutch was murdered in February. Oh, it could have been March, but anyway, look, it was it was quite a, a short time. But he was shot dead at his house in Ratoth in County Meath and he was called uh, nicknamed King Size because he was a, a cigarette smuggler he would have been very close to Jerry Gerard Hutch so there's no doubt we knew within minutes that it, this was because of the feud and we knew that it was the Kenyans striking back at anybody who had any connections with Noel, with, with Jerry Hutch and I'll give you another example there was a man who was mentioned in the tapes a man called Duck Egg which would be Noel Kerwin who would be an, also another old friend of Gerard Hutch now uh, you, listeners will remember the funeral of Eddie Hutch when Jerry Hutch uh came along and, he, and he'd grown his hair long and he had a, a slight disguise. He had a cap on and it's a very, very famous photograph of him getting into the church in Sean McDermott Street. Well, after he left, Noel Kerwin drove, walked away with him and drove him away. Was, I always remember he was in, a, in, I think it was in a Jeep, right? Noel Kerwin was killed in December 2016 purely because of that, because he was seen walking with Jerry Hutch and being an ally and being a supporter, whatever you want to call it, of Jerry Hutch. So it shows you the level of sort of viciousness and evil that the Kenyan cartel were employing. It's in other words, like anybody who associates with the Hutches is in trouble. And I know personally, guards were telling us at the time, listen, the, the Kenyans are trying to buy people in North Inner City Dublin to turn on the Hutch family and the Hutch, you know, the, 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 the organised the Hutch organised crime gang, shall we say. They were spending thousands, giving people seven or eight grand just for information. So it was really was, that's why I use the word onslaught. It wasn't just an onslaught on the Hutch family. It was an onslaught on North Inner City Dublin, I mean, we've spoken about this before. There were armed guardy all over the place when I was going to work. It's not something I, as someone who grew up in Belfast, was anyway comfortable with because that's not what you want to see. You know, that's not a real a, a functioning society. If you have to have armed officers like that with their HK four one six rifles patrolling the streets, it wasn't good. But that was because that North Inner City community was being terrorized by the Kinnan Cartel in an act of revenge and almost like you know we'll show you who's boss. Yeah, and and I think we'll we'll circle back to the the impact actually on these areas that are kind of traditionally associated with each each gang later. Because I do actually think that living in Dublin, that's one of the aspects that maybe gets a little bit underplayed as to uh, the kind of everyday aspects of it. But just to circle back now, obviously we're in the middle of um, a high profile trial with regards to the Regency, and there's certain things that we can and can't say. But in terms of the rationale for the attack itself, now this was obviously an audacious as you say, front page news by dint of cameras being there, we saw people dressed in guard uniform with AK-47 or, or sorry, Kalashnikov style rifles, I should say. Uh, what what was the logic, do you feel, for uh, the attack itself? With the benefit of six, more than six years hindsight and thinking about it probably every day, for me, it was an attempt by the Hutch crime gang. Remember, the, in December, January the 1st, or December 31st, 2015, January the 1st, 2016, the Kinahans narrowly missed murdering Gerard Hutch in Lanzarote. We know that there were other tensions. So from the 
the gang perspective or the gang behind this, the Hutch crime gang that was behind this, this was an attempt to cut the head off the snake to, to defence being the uh, attack being the best form of defence. So you can imagine the, the criminals were going, right, listen, they keep on trying to kill people. We're going to have to go to them. And if we kill Daniel Kinnan, that will fatally weaken the, the, the Kinnan organised crime gang, the, the cartel. So it was an audacious attempt to decapitate the Kinnan cartel. And listen, Kieran, there's no doubt about this. They came within feet and seconds of killing Kinnan. We know, we know that... Uh, and there was evidence about this when we we we'd done a story about this before the court case because we had sources who were telling us uh, you know essentially what happened. One of his bodyguards saw Flatcap, who was Kevin Murray, who's now the now deceased former IRA prisoner who was involved, and then the man dressed as the woman. You know, obviously there were there were men uh, in f- fake SWAT uniforms whose faces weren't visible, but these two people were there and. People obviously recognised them as up to no good because they were walking along and they were carrying guns and all, you know. So the bodyguard saw them, got Daniel Kinnan out of the way and threw a plastic water bottle at Kevin Murray. And, you know, that's how close it was. So if they were able to hit him with a water bottle, it shows you how close they were to, to killing, killing Kinnan. I was always told they were two or three seconds away from killing him. And that's very, very close. So you can see the, the, the rage, shall we say, of the Kinnan cartel after this. Like, look how close... The gang came to murdering Kenan, murdering our boss, murdering our, the man who pays us all the money. So it was an onslaught after that. Yeah, it, it, so it's quite interesting because if we were to spool back to some of the audio tapes that we heard last week, um, and obviously this is on the presumption that the people in the uh, the tapes are who the state alleged they are in terms of Jonathan Dowdle and Gerald Hutch. Um, Hutch at that point was talking about, it seemed a, a kind of, I wouldn't say a fascination, but he was talking about the uh, the aspirations of the Kinnans in terms of them wanting to become the biggest gang in Europe, them wanting the Colombians to come to them and to sort of be a, I guess a, a magnetic force for uh, for criminality in in Europe. Um, do you think it was a particular? I mean, was was this a kind of last gasp attempt by the Hutches with the Regency to kind of just cut the head off the snake, as you say? Like, I mean, was this their kind of Last resort, did they feel, as, as we've seen since, that they were a little bit behind the pump? Maybe they were lacking in manpower and the like. And obviously, we've seen they've fallen behind in terms of, um, you know, the tit for tat killings, I suppose. I, I think it was a, a, an act of, if this makes sense, qualified and uh, planned desperation. Because I think they knew at that stage uh, that the Kenyans were after them. They had obviously killed Gary Hutch, they tried to murder Jared Hutch. We, we we may never know what other incidents there had been before that. You know, there's the whole dynamic of a gang breakdown. So we just we just don't know. But it's clear that the Kenyans were very, very serious. And I would imagine that the Hutch gang went, listen, they're going to go after us. So they're, you know, if you're cornered, what can you do? You can only think, right, OK, listen, let's get them before they get us. So but they're also you have to also realise that there are members of the Hutch crime gang who are very, very well known for planning and thinking outside the box and sort of being audacious. So, you know, it, it was that that came together, the desperation and, well, you know, let's be a wee bit different. They're no, they won't be expecting us to go after them because we're in the back foot. Let's go after them and let's try and kill them before they kill us. So I think, you know, that that's basically what was the rationale behind it. They wanted rid of Kenan because they wanted, they knew that their own lives were at risk. And as we said, and, you know, on a number of occasions, the the death toll on both sides is is, is somewhat one-sided in, in the sense that the, the Hutch family have, have lost a lot of people uh, in relative terms to the Kinans. What do you put this down to? The Hutch 
gang is very cohesive and very small. The Kinahan gang is very widespread and very big and they have financial uh, clout. So as I said, they were buying people off in the north inner city Dublin. North inner city Dublin is a very cohesive community. But we know, I'm talking to you, I can think of suspects for murders who would be in the same area as members of the Hodge family who just basically turned, you know. So they had the money and the wherewithal. And money talks. Money really does talk. And I think that they also went round and they told people, you guys have to decide, are you Team Hutch or are you Team Kenahan? And most people, maybe saving their own skin or, or you know, thinking of their own money, just decided, well, um, the Kenahans are the, the big boys, so I'm going to stay with them. I just think it's also, you know, the Kenahans, because they had access to the money, they had, they could bring in you know, they, they had, there were people heavily involved in criminality who did things for the, the, the Kinnan gang because of the money they got. And money is very, very important. So I don't think the Hodge crime gang could really effectively pay people to carry out hits. So we know that the Hodge gang is blamed for the Regency murder. We, I mean, that that's that's fair enough, that's clear. We know that the the Hutch's, Hutch gang carried out the Regency, that's a given, but there was only other one other murder, uh, you know, uh, handed or... Uh, there was only one other murder that was assigned to the Hutch gang and that was the fel- murder of a fella, fella called Michael Kyo. And that was, I think that was May 2017. He was shot in an uh, underground car park just off Dominic Street Street in central Dublin. So, you know, he would have been, there, there, were, there were members of his family who were convicted of the, one of the, the um, murder of a Gareth Hutch, Jerry Hutch's uh, nephew in May 2016. But he was killed you know, by the Hutch gang. And now there was a lot of planning for that. Nobody's ever been arrested. Nobody ever has ever been caught for that. But look, really, the, the, the Hutch gang was on the constant back foot and they were under real pressure. And, you know, also they were known and they were being hunted by the Kinnans. So it's hard to plan something when you're running for your life. So I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, there were, there were fewer killings. And also, you know, the Kinnans, you know, they killed an awful lot of people who had nothing to do with anything and they're quite indiscriminate. Whereas... You know, maybe it's a bit more targeted and maybe better thought out by the, the Hodge gang. All right, that's your lot for now. But be sure to tune in tomorrow for part two of our Hutch Kinahan backgrounder. And we'll speak to you then. Take it easy.